channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on July 30th, 2021 and is current through Star Trek Discovery Season 3, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. Catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a 30-minute news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are multiple television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is Stephen Van Doren. Stephen, welcome to Weekly Trek. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. All right, Stephen. Well, I ask my guests this question every week. I want to know something that's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? Well, I am an enormous Next Generation devotee. All right. I watch it all the time. In fact, most nights I put on an episode as I'm going to sleep. It's just the perfect thing to lull me to sleep. I used to think it was the theme music, but... Now that uh, Netflix gave us that wonderful skip intro, I've, I've utilized that probably a lot more than I should. <laughs> but uh, I'm so wrapped up in it and so comforted by it that it, it allows me to tune out all of it's my white noise generator sort of thing. But I was recently this week, I was actually listening to The High Ground from season three episode 12, where we are treated by Star Trek to the opportunity to sympathize with a terrorist. And I was thinking just how amazing it is that in January of 1990, they were having that discussion in Star Trek and they got away with it. It's amazing. So much nuance and and a light touch was given to this episode so long ago. And even today in 2021, we don't have shows that handle it that well. So I was really, really blown away by how well the series, especially The Next Generation, but I think in general, they've all, wait, they've all aged quite well, with a few notable exceptions when there's been some questionable <laughs> wisdom. <clears throat> you know, Code of Honor would be one that I would <laughs> yeah. reference. But, you know, it's, it's really, it, Star Trek The Next Generation, I think at its best, really exemplified what science fiction and fantasy can really do better than any other genre. And that's give you a safe place to experience, you know, a new, a new emotion or an uncomfortable situation. And you're, you're allowed to feel however you want to feel. It's really a, a unique thing. And they did it several times in the next generation. I'm really, I'm really hopeful that uh, strange new world is going to pick up that, particular thread and give us more of the episodic let's try how this feels so I'm, that's that's what i've been thinking about yeah i've always felt like the high ground is an underrated episode i mean it falls in a great season of star trek so right you know, when when the episodes that sort of around it are the offspring and who watches the watchers and yesterday's enterprise it's right it, it, it sort of doesn't get the attention that it deserves but i think it is actually as you say right? A really nuanced examination of a topic that, you know, even at the time was quite a difficult one. I mean, so much so that they did not broadcast that episode in the United right. Kingdom because it was too, the parallels were too close to the 
Well, they, they specifically issues. cited the Irish independence of 2025, right. I think mm-hmm. it was. <laughs> yes, yes, which we may be on track for at this rate. Well, you know, we'll see how, how much of a crystal ball the next generation was. <laughs> right, right. Hey, I mean, if it is a crystal ball, we're headed towards a utopian future, so that sounds good to me, even though... There are a few bumps before then, however. <laughs> yeah, sure, like a World War Three and what, that would like be the 20 one. years. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing I'm feeling good about Star Trek this week is, well, if last week... I I was feeling good about the fact that new Star Trek comes back in two and a half weeks. (laughs) This week, I'm feeling good about the fact that new Star Trek comes back in one and a half weeks from the time that this episode drops. Yeah, by the time this goes up on Monday, August the 2nd, we'll be only 10 days away from the premiere of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, yes, I am thoroughly looking forward to it. And it's potentially teeing up a very long run of new Star Trek. Stephen, how are you feeling about that? I am crossing my fingers that somehow they're going to manage uh, what they've never been able to do before, and that's set up an infinite loop of new treks, because there are so many different things that they can explore, you know? And with starting now with the, the many various types of trek that exist now, with Lower Decks being a brand new style of Simpsons in space sort of thing, is how I sort of imagine it, uh, you know, what if what if we took a lighter touch with Star Trek and we've got Discovery handling, you know, the far future and we'll have strange new worlds filling in the spots uh, between the Enterprise and the show Enterprise, some of those spots. And we'll have Section 31. Do we know where that's even being set yet? Not I don't yet. Mm-mm. I would love it to be in the Enterprise C era. Oh, that'd be cool. That would be fun. But, you know, so hopefully we can, this is, I mean, we're just, we're so close. And to have so much Trek right there on the horizon is so exciting. Well, let's not delay talking about new Star Trek on the horizon any longer. So with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on and I'm a reporter. After five months of shooting, Star Trek Strange New Worlds has wrapped filming on its first season. Principal shooting for the 10 episodes of season one concluded up in Toronto, Canada this past week, with cast and crew celebrating their success both on social media and at the show's season wrap party. On Saturday, July 24th, Strange New World star Anson Mount, playing Captain Christopher Pike, tweeted, quote, And that's a season one main unit wrap. We owe some pickup shots, most of which will be tackled this fall, but the lion's share of our work is in the can. Thanks to our phenomenal crew, thanks to Toronto, and thanks to our fans for being so patient. We will see you soon. And on Instagram, co-executive producer Chris Fisher had this to say, We're about an hour away from completing what has been the greatest honor and challenge of my life and such a miraculous, expansive, and unexpected gift. If you can imagine how joyous and emotional it might be on set tonight sharing the end of the season together, then take that to Warp Factor 9.99. This cast and crew have made an incredible show during a pandemic in a city under lockdown, all as essential workers, with extreme safety protocols. We were constantly inspired by the hope, optimism, and spirit of Gene Roddenberry, which was always a beacon to guide our way. Star Trek is and always will be a show about ideas, 
and ideas when amplified by a group of passionate, diverse, and talented beings can be a very powerful tool. Other crew members have been getting in on the fun, posting a couple of pictures of fireworks at the season wrap party and parting crew gifts, but so far everyone has been careful not to reveal any hints at what to expect from the upcoming show. When will that change? Well, at this point, the smart money would be on Star Trek Day if Viacom CBS repeats that event from last year, or New York Comic Con to get our first look at Strange New Worlds. Stephen, you already mentioned you're looking forward to the show. What are the things you think you're most looking forward to from Star Trek Strange New Worlds? Well, I have to echo the enthusiasm of the original show happiness about it being moved to a more episodic Planet of the Week sort of situation. I think that's a very powerful tool that... I think Star Trek has somewhat ignored since the success of the Dominion War and how Discovery has been painted from day one as Picard has been painted from day one. I love, you know, full season or multi-season arcs. That's lovely. But I also like being able to have an entire story in an hour, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's been some funky set photos that have come out from Strange New Worlds. Like, I recall seeing there was a set photo someone posted from Toronto. It was like of a medieval castle. And then they were filming at some, like, Western-style village, oh, uh, implying there might be a, a Western-style Strange New Worlds episode. And then, I guess this past week, some of that kind of pickup shooting they've been doing with the second unit has been... In these sort of crowd scenes of aliens who look like they're under some kind of authoritarian rule. It's tough to kind of tell. So there's definitely, I mean, it definitely seems like just from the places they've been going and shooting the show over the last five and a half months now they've been shooting it for, that they do, I mean, we've seen nothing about this show, right? We don't know right. if the costumes are the same. We don't know if the sets are the same. We, we think we maybe have seen a picture of the transporter room, which looks really interesting. <laughs> but... As a whole, it's still very opaque, but it does sound like any time they sort of talked about it, they do keep returning back to this sort of, this is the episodic Star Trek show for the modern era. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm really hoping they pull it off. Not least just because it'll be nice to have something different from the kind of viewing experience of Discovery or the kind of viewing experience that you get from Picard. Right. And I hate to be the sort of wet blanket but I end every single episode of Picard or Discovery just wailing in tears, it seems. And so it'll be nice to have serious-ish Trek that doesn't necessarily take me on a rigorous emotional journey, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And I, I think it, it certainly is the case that when they're working with all these new shows, the franchise does need to very clearly understand that each of these shows should work within a different emotional range. Uh, yeah, I in agree. the same way that they do it visually and atmospherically and right, like Lower Decks couldn't possibly be more different from Discovery. Right. Uh, and hopefully Prodigy could be more different from the other two. But Discovery and Picard, as much as they initially felt like they were quite different, by the end of Picard's first season, it definitely felt sort of very much in that kind of Discovery mold. And it would be nice for Strange New Worlds to stand more distinctly apart from those two shows. And, and as you say, I think the sort of atmosphere of it and the 
philosophy behind it in terms of how are we trying to get the audience to engage with the show and what are we trying to make them feel hopefully that'll be slightly different so we can you know you watch 10 episodes of discovery and you have a good cry all along the way and then you watch 10 episodes of strange new worlds and you feel something different and then you watch 10 right. episodes of lower decks and it makes you laugh etc cetera, etc cetera. well and i don't want to sound like i was criticizing discovery or picard because i adore them i think it would be inappropriate to use you know some of the the sillier aspects of some of those you know the classic trek episodes mm-hmm. in any of those shows because the feel of the show isn't really appropriate when you're you know when you're trying to save literally all life in the galaxy right. we can't focus on you know a silly tribble episode you know yeah exactly whereas in something that is dealing more with all right now we're going to this green planet now we're going to this you know uh, water planet you know then you can have a triple episode and it's perfectly fine. Right. And you can sandwich it with the uh, sympathize with terrorism episode and the when does life begin episode. You know, but you can do that with episodic seasons like that. Well, from a mysterious Star Trek show that was announced last year and has now completed shooting its first season to a mysterious Star Trek show that was announced two years ago and has yet to film a frame of footage. Star Trek franchise showrunner Alex Kurtzman said this past week that he is, quote, very optimistic about the future of this Section 31 show. Speaking to the Producers Guild, Alex Kurtzman said of Section 31 that, quote, we actually have a couple of Section 31 scripts. COVID, frankly, just changed the game for everybody and every show. We were on a very specific schedule that then got thrown completely into whack because of COVID. Even Discovery Season 4 started many months later than originally planned, Picard 2. Everything got pushed. So we're actually on a great track with Section 31, and I'm very optimistic about it. Where things head from here and what that means in terms of timing for the show is, of course, still anyone's guess. Michelle Yao was recently cast in a prequel to the Netflix show, The Witcher, which is probably going to set back her involvement in Section 31 somewhat, but Alex Kurtzman is not talking about this show in a way that would indicate it is not eventually going to happen, I think. From the way he's talking about it, it sounds like it is going to happen, it's just a question of when. Stephen, what do you think the future holds for Star Trek Section 31? Oh boy, this is an interesting development of a show, because when Section 31 was initially brought into the Star Trek world with DS9, I didn't like it. I really, really, really didn't like it because I was very accustomed to viewing Starfleet, even in DS9, which I think graded a lot. I was still viewing Starfleet as a much more pure organization. And so I found the concept of Section 31 operating outside of Federation laws to be kind of reprehensible. And I didn't see why we needed it. And over the Discovery seasons especially, but... Picard to a lesser extent, but only slightly, we've gotten to see a little more of the rust underneath that wasn't so much shown in previous Mm. series. And so I am actually excited about this. There's a lot of opportunity for letting the Section 31 itself be a character in much the same way that Torchwood, I think, used Torchwood as a character rather than having any one main person, you know, though Captain Harkness was the main guy, he wasn't the only, you know, it was really a, a camaraderie of everyone working together in this organization sort of thing. I think that could be replicated with Section 31 and make it, you know, a, a very much more broad ensemble. That would also allow, 
Michelle Yeoh to be able to do other things because she's got her hand in so many different bags right now, then it doesn't see, I don't see any end to that in the future. Right. And to have a really broad ensemble cast, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for delving into other cultures and you can have different people be differently uh, uh, expert in specific things that help and it just could be a lot, there could be a lot of dynamic characters in that since we wouldn't be, you know, held by Federation rules, but we'd be buoyed by Federation peace and prosperity and technology. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm willing, since it's not the Rick Berman era, I'm willing to see where he goes with it. Rick Berman, I would not trust with a Section 31 show. Yeah, this is definitely the best news that fans who are looking forward to the Section 31 show have gotten in a while, right? Because, you know, the show was announced. It was actually it was about two and a half years ago at this point. It was January yeah. of 2019 because it was right. It was right when I started doing the show. I think it was my second episode. And, you know, it's sort of just, it hasn't happened. And the showrunners, I mean, you know, they said it was going to be Bo Young Kim and Erica Lippol. We're not even sure if they're still working on Star Trek Discovery at this point, or if they have moved on to other things, or are they still working on Section 31? It's just, it, it's very unclear. And then with Alex Kurtzman saying to Variety in February that, you know, with the five shows they had, it was going to take one of the shows going off the air for another show to come online and sort of section 31 would kind of naturally be that next one but you know when are any of the existing five going to end you know that sort of said oh well maybe then maybe then it's not really happening but this sort of seems to indicate that it is still on the cards it is still on the agenda and so and in some ways you know, they followed through and they did the Terra Firma part one and two episodes in Star Trek Discovery. And we waved goodbye to Michelle Yao and to Giorgio. And, you know, that was, and, and Kurtzman talked about this in the Producers Guild panel about how those two episodes were very much kind of sort of setting up that Section 31 show. Because at the end, she goes back in time to some point in the past from when Discovery Season 3 took place. And presumably, wherever it was that she ended up was where that show was, was going to end up getting set. Right. But that's sort of been the end of it, right? So, you know, this sort of does kind of, I think, put the show back within the realm of possibility but i still think it's probably you know one two three years away before we get a good look at it well i hope that they don't go too far back with uh section 31 because i don't i don't want them to have too much of a history uh, it feels to me that to have them be you know open and active since the you know as a functioning body since the formation of starfleet or something like that seems disingenuous to the spirit of how Starfleet began. Yeah. It wasn't until later that the weight of having so much to the Federation began to sort of erode the edges that required that sort of, you know, periphery surveillance like Section 31 provides. And I would think that that most, you know, that as an era, the most important era for that would be around the original series with the Klingons being the main antagonist, which would be kind of an odd story to tell, but I would be willing to hear it. You said before you thought that a good time frame within which to set the show would be sort of like the Enterprise C, kind of that period of time in between Star Trek 60 Undiscovered Country and The Next Generation. Right. You still feeling that's the like that's the way to go? It would be great. It would be fun because it could give us 
Rachel Garrett in the Enterprise C on occasion, and I thought she was a wonderful captain from yesterday's Enterprise. And so that would be nice. The only reason I think it's a bit of a, of a wish on a prayer is that there's no real reason for the Mirror Universe and the Prime Universe to be closest at that point, which was, yeah. I think that seemed to be what the Guardian of Forever said when, when, he was, when she was sent back. Mm-hmm. However, with Kirk's first interaction with the Mirror Universe, that does tie in, you know, that, that might well be the time when the two universes were closest. Lots to look forward to. I think we'll probably be speculating on this one for a little while longer, though, before we I find would out imagine anything. so. Yeah. At least until the end of Picard. Yeah, right, right, right. Which might not be too far away if they really yeah. are only doing three seasons and they're filming two and three back to back right now. But we don't know that for sure yet. Right. But Patrick Stewart is not a young man anymore. So he is not. I'm willing to move him into the Museum of Revered People. <laughs> Never touch him because you might damage him. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, good news for Star Trek Lower Decks fan in the UK, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, India, and more. Amazon have confirmed that the second season of the show will be premiering weekly on the service beginning on Friday, August 13th, just one day following the US release on Paramount+. Plus. After Lower Decks fans outside North America were forced to wait months for season one to be legally available in their region, there were concerns that the same might hold true for season two. But no, with Amazon Prime now confirmed as the digital streaming service for a big swath of the international fan community, the release schedule will settle back into the familiar release pattern for Discovery and Picard. Fans in South America, though, will have to wait a little longer, as it was previously announced that Paramount Plus would be launching in the region in September, and that would be the exclusive Latin American home to Lower Decks. Stephen, are you looking forward to Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2? I am. I was initially, again, like so many of the older Star Trek fans, I was initially hesitant to even begin watching it, honestly. I thought, this isn't really appropriate, and it took me a few extra weeks before I watched the first episode when it started playing. But then I immediately caught myself up and had to sit like everyone else waiting with bated breath every week to get the next episode. (laughs) It was so relieving to be able to enjoy something that has been so meaningful to me for my entire life in a brand new way, just as a completely relaxing, amusing jaunt with friends. And I was so excited. So I am here waiting for the 12th because I'm lucky and I get to start on the 12th. I feel bad for everyone else to start on the 13th, but my phone sent me a notification three hours ago that the crew behind the USS Cerritos is back on the 12th. So I'm ready. Oh yes, I'm ready too. It is so appropriate that Lower Decks is sort of that like summer treat, you know, that sort of late summer feeling loose, feeling happy, feeling funny type Star Trek. They couldn't have picked a better time for it to premiere last year. And I think same is true this year as well anything you think you'd particularly like to see out of season two of lower decks oh man i'm looking forward to any extra footage we can get of tamarians yeah well it seems like we'll get a decent amount because of this new character they have i love that they are introducing one and of course what better way to do it than in a way where you don't have to take it really super seriously right you can just have fun with it that's going to be so great darmok was one of my favorite episodes from the next generation because at the time I was studying language for the very first time and the idea of this sort of species they've 
they translate the words just fine. They just don't mean anything to us. I think <laughs> right. that's so fascinating. Uh-huh. And to have a character, you know, probably not an all-the-time character, that would probably get very tiring to, you know, explain it all out every time. The joke would get old. So I imagine it's going to be a recurring background character or something. But I'm excited to just see what sort of amusing jokes the writers can come up with because we've had 30 years to think about them. Yeah, I will have more to say about Temerians and the Temerian language when we get to the wish or theory section. So <laughs> I won't preempt myself at this point, or I guess I won't preempt the listener wish that was submitted this week. But yeah, I am really looking forward to that. And I'm looking I'm looking forward to everything about this show. I, I can't wait for it to get here. And yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a good time. Well, and lastly this week, we are learning more about the Wand Company's functional original series tricorder that is in development and slated for release late this year or early next year. The Wand Company, who made a Bluetooth TOS communicator that links to your phone and a TOS phaser that also serves as a universal remote, are developing an exacting replica of the original series tricorder and have started to reveal more plans for its functionality. Using the embedded disk drive within the tricorder, which was glimpsed on screen in TOS but never seen in use, the company is developing a series of removable disks that will give the tricorder different functions depending on which disks are loaded. So far, the company has indicated they are working on the following functions for the tricorder, an audio catalog of TOS captain's logs, images and physical data on the Sol system's planets, the ability to record your own audio, barometric humidity and temperature readings, an FM radio player, a compass, and enterprise status reports. For more information on development of the Tricorder, head over to the One Company's website and check out their product blog. It's obvious how much they love Star Trek, and they are looking to bring a really high-quality and functional Tricorder replica to fans at some point late this year or early next year. I actually have the communicator. It was a, uh, it was a wedding gift from my father-in-law, and it is terrific. Stephen, this is an impressive looking tricorder. Are you much of a collector? Is this something that sort of tempts your interest at all? I will admit that I am not a collector, but this would have me questioning whether or not to be a collector. <laughs> I mean, I looking at the, the specs on this blew my mind that anyone was thinking we needed to do this because it's so over the top how much functionality is in what is really just a little toy. I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. When I mentioned to my mother that, because I'm a, I'm a family of Trekkies, of course, when I mentioned to my mother that, that this thing was, was coming out and we were going to discuss it, she said, you know, I, I read that, that the original ones that Leonard Nimoy used, you'd know they were the ones he used because he would leave a Tootsie Roll on the edge because <laughs> he was quitting smoking, and so he would use it between takes. And so if it was sticky... You knew it was an authentic tricorder. <laughs> and looking at it, like, yep, there's space for the Tootsie Roll, so that's good. They've built that in as well. But I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's over the top because, of course, when it's the 1960s and you're imagining what future technology is going to be, you're guessing based off of current technology and pulling it forward as best you can. So they're thinking physical media is going to just get smaller and you'll you know it'll soon it'll be hand size and oh that's ridiculous <laughs> and so you know to have these little discs there when you think about putting all of the the data in those sorts of things even with today's technology you wouldn't need something nearly that large 
You know, we, we're etching circuit boards with helium that are atoms apart. We don't need big physical disks anymore. And, and I love that the description of this mentions specifically the disks popping out and the premium, the premium click that you can get with <laughs> the disk ejection. I just think that's, I would pay for that. I'm one of those people who has bought keyboards for the click on the, on the keystroke. So a very, a premium click on, on loading a disk, that sounds, that sounds mighty fine. Yeah, this one's very cool. As I say, I had the communicator. I did not get the phaser when it came out. And joke's on me, because that thing now costs like 400, 500 bucks if you try and pick up on on the secondary market on eBay. Whoa. Yeah. And yeah, this tricorder is very impressive. I mean, you know, when they first came out and they said they were making a tricorder that was sort of a, a functional tricorder, you sort of look at that and you think, oh, yeah, so, you know, it's, you know, what are you going to do? A little, bit, little audio recorder, a little, you know, a little temperature gauge, and that'll be it. But I mean, that list I read out is just some of the things they have planned. It's not even everything. So it really is going to be a funky little device. And the fact that they have figured out a way of doing the functional parts of the tricorder, but have it still also be true to the original design of right. the prop that was developed by Hua Chang. And as you say, that idea that, you know, they were sort of extrapolating future technology, but now future technology is such that you can sort of do something very similar to what was envisioned and it didn't take you 200 years to do it it <laughs> did you 55 years to do it is you know that's sort of impressive to think about and dwell upon that the tricorder is real and it's being made by the one company right now so yeah this one's this one's tempting when it goes up for pre-order i'll i'm gonna have to have a long hard think about it well i'm i'm also curious if there's going to be and I imagine there will be, there's going to have to be uh, some sort of connect connection for charging and that sort of thing. So I wonder if the, there's any thought of future plans for updating firmware and that sort of thing. As software technology improves, then they can utilize stuff that's already built into their device and maybe utilize it better with updates over time as, you know, that would be a, a great way to continue the utility of of this amazing prop. <laughs> yeah, it could be. The communicator and the phaser both have discrete USB plugins for the charging. So yeah, I mean it's you know they they have found a little a little place to put them on the two others, and you obviously need one on the tricorder. So right. yeah, I guess theoretically it could be done. And also you know just get more discs, right? If they're swappable and out, you right. know if they could swap them in and out, you could just you could make a bunch of them and keep updating them with the kind of things you could do on them. Oh boy, that opens up a whole new world. Uh -huh. They're like they're they're like big thick pogs. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you could start. You could start putting games on them, and then play them on that little tiny screen. It'll be marvelous. Yeah, right. I would imagine, though, unlike Pogs, don't smash them together. It probably doesn't have a good result for your tricorder. Right. Not the best. Not the best. Although solid state media is pretty durable these That's days. That's true. That is true. <laughs> All right. Well, we've talked about the facts, and now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, I and my guest give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So Stephen, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. Well, I have been holding on to the hope that we would get episodic Star Trek back. And now that that has been already fulfilled, I can cross that off my list and move on to number two, which is odd for a, a Next Generation fan. But I would like an update on Cardassia. Uh -huh. And I think 
if we could get an update on Cardassia from Picard and get it through Elam Garrick, then we would have, and I hate to keep belaboring it, without Rick Berman's interference, we could have a much more true-to-character representation of Garrick, as Andrew Robinson uh, has mentioned uh, many times, and then uh, with Alexander Siddig re more recently in a, a mutual interview somewhere, they mentioned that they wanted there to be a relationship between the two of them because it mm -hmm. seemed very naturally to be growing there. And as a gay kid in the 90s, that really would have helped me to see that sort of presentation. And I'm quite disappointed to learn since then that it's mostly been Rick Berman that held that back. And it would be nice to get an update from uh, from Cardassia, but I think Elam Garrick was such a fun character and so variable and so interesting that it would be a, a natural fit. And I'm sure Mr. Robinson would be willing to play him again. I'm sure he's just champing at the bit, waiting his moment, because they'd certainly have enough makeup and prosthetics to make him look absolutely like an old Cardassian instead of as an older human. Sure. And I would love for Andrew Robinson to come back and play Garrick, and I would love for it to be confirmed that the character is gay. And it's, as you say, it seems like Andrew Robinson is interested in doing it, right, in the Deep Space Nine documentary. Right. One of my favorite moments in that documentary is he reads a short speech as Garrick. You know, he does the voice and the inflections, the intonation, and then over lockdown last year, him and Alexander Sadig were doing these Zoom plays, basically. Right, that's what it was, yeah. Uh -huh, which was where people were writing these sort of scripts about the kind of Bashir and Garrick relationship, which did sort of venture into the territory of them being actually in a relationship. And these two guys were super, you know, super game about, you know, acting out the scripts that the fans were putting together. And they were must-see, those were must-see events for a few weeks there. It's sort of like during... I guess it was during the late spring of last year. So when we were all starting to go a bit loopy from the first set of lockdowns. <laughs> so yeah, I would love to see Garrett come back and I'd love to get, you know, more on, on the Cardassians. It, previous guests have sort of dwelled upon this and, and it's true. You know, we really have sort of been missing our big Deep Space Nine tie-in from yeah. current Star Trek. We thought maybe Discovery was going to give us that in season three, but it, you know, it's just sort of hinted at it. I mean, we had some Trill stuff, but we right. didn't really have some Cardassian stuff or Bajoran stuff. And when we talk Deep Space Nine, that's sort of what we, I think we're mostly interested in. So yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. And it would be, I guess it would be even more thematically appropriate to get get the update via Bajor since Picard is more tied to Bajor than he is to Cardassia. Right. I mean, he's he certainly bled more in Cardassia. Sure. Because there are four lights, man. <laughs> but it seems, you know, maybe that would be a way to get Ro Laren back. Huh? Uh-huh. Michelle yep. Forbes, for are you it. listening? <laughs> you turned it down before, but nah. Time to correct that mistake, Michelle. Yeah, just for a little bit. You don't have to sign up to many seasons. It's just just one. It's okay. Yeah, we only do 10 episodes of, of Star Trek a season this time. You're all right. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Bring me back some Garrick. That's what I want. Yeah. I'm all for it. Well, my wish this week is a listener submission. This one comes from our friend John Krikorian, the host of the Trek Profiles podcast. And John DM'd me on Twitter to say that he really wants out of Star Trek Lower Deck Season 2 since 
it has been revealed as part of the trailer from Comic-Con last week that there will be a Tamarian security chief, Lieutenant Kayshan. He is very much looking forward to us getting some more Tamarian metaphors to add to our vocabulary, I guess our meme vocabulary right. for, uh, for Star Trek. Uzani, his arms open. Uh, Shaka, when the walls fell. Darmok Anjalad at Tanagra. What other kind of fun, iconic sayings are going to make their way into the vocabulary of every Star Trek fan. That will be a lot of fun to get some more of those. And it's a cool character. Steven, you're absolutely right. The joke's going to wear thin eventually. Well, I think you hit it right on the right on the nail, I think. The, the best way to think of their language is as memes. Because as our memes have gotten more complicated... There's so much meaning in each one that it's not just the words, it's not just the pictures that are behind it, it's sometimes not just the orientation of the pictures behind it. You know, there's so many levels that you can read in now. And my favorite example of that is the loss meme, which is, you know, miles deep and, you know, pervades so many different memes. And it's such a simple concept, but it, you know, to have all of this extra meaning in such a simple you know, string of words. I love that there's a meme language in Star Trek and we can describe it as that and be accurate with that. And which preceded the existence of memes by right. nearly a solid decade, right? Like Star Trek predicted it and it came true. And you watch that episode and you think, this is sort of faintly ridiculous. <laughs> and then you pull up your group chat you know, your group text message with your friends and you're just, you're not sending complete sentences. Right. You're sending gifts and images and, and yeah, you have this whole vibrant discussion that takes place that is not constructed in full sentences. I mean, that, you know, so much of our kind of internet language is very much based off of a shared cultural understanding for images and quotes and ideas and things that have happened in which both parties deriving the same understanding out of that conversation relies upon that shared cultural understanding rather right. than elaboration and explanation as part of the conversation that's taking place. And we got that in Star Trek. And it's, it, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, it's a very prescient episode, but it's very fun that given that the way it has sort of applied in real life is this sort of, you know, meme culture that we transition it over to an examination from the comedic side, because I think there's, there is a ton of potential there. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's basically, uh, that's that's two. That's two things that Star Trek has given given us. They predicted that doors would open when you walked up to them, and now they do. <laughs> and memes. There we go. And, and the cell iPad. phones, I suppose. Yeah, and iPads. Yeah, they've done pretty well. They've, they've done, done pretty, pretty well. well. Even kind of pegged the rich guy with a rocket gets to space. Yep. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. Yes, and they're both uh, they're, they're both eccentric people. <laughs> yes, although in any situation, in any run-up, I will take Zephram Cochran. Every single time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, or Prodigy that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek, or email them to me at weeklytrek at thetricordertransmissions.com, and I might feature your theory in a future episode. 
Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Stephen Van Doren, for joining me today. Stephen, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? I'm easy to find on Twitter at S. Van Doren. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to TrekCore.com. Well, thank you, Stephen. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. 